Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So, friends, uh, wow. Uh, What a journey this has been. Christmas is over, uh, thankfully, and yet not so thankfully, right? And uh, I, I don't know about you, but this year, for some reason, I didn't feel like I was under duress or stress, like I typically am. How did you feel this year? It's, do, you, do you feel like, you know, Santa Claus putting you on his lap and saying, how good were you this year? I'm not, uh, I'm not asking that, but I'm asking you how you felt about it. I, I truly enjoyed the Christmas holiday this year. I, I did because I felt like God visited us in a, in a very meaningful way. Anybody else feel that way? Just, just really enjoyed uh, my Savior this year, and I'm grateful. As I looked out uh, over my congregation, and I looked out over my family, uh, I, I felt blessed. I'm blessed because God is. He's always been, you know. Uh, and so we uh, completed uh, our sermon series on the reason Jesus came, answers from Hebrews on uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, anybody enjoy that, that service? I, I always do. And uh, I'm grateful that some of you were able to come, and uh, uh, some of you obviously couldn't, but I'm grateful for those that did. And we're going to open and close yet another sermon series today. Uh, Go back to it and then close it, uh, Contending for the Faith, uh, our study of Jude, Glory for All Time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jude, uh, verse 24, all the way at the back of Jude. It is clearly the last book before Revelation, and Jude has a doxology for us today, and this is what he has to say. Two verses. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. (laughs) What an amazing ending to this book. And as we return to this short epistle, again, we complete it. And we find that Jude was directed by God to write some very necessary things, even though many of them, I believe, to many people are unpleasant. He makes a plea to contend earnestly for the faith. You'll remember that as we review just a little bit. Contend earnestly for the faith. Then he sounds a warning to us about ungodly people who have crept into the church unnoticed. And then he gives us a reminder of God's righteous condemnation of our behavior throughout time. And listen, friends, you don't need me to reiterate that to you. You can look at history and know that mankind hasn't always been on his best behavior, has he? Okay, so he, he, he gives us God's condemnation about that. 
And then he describes the depraved minds of the ungodly, the ungodly dreamers, he calls them uh, earlier on in the epistle. And then he gives us counsel on how to keep from falling in any manner, including into the, the dupes of the dreamers, and certainly from those dupes of Satan. And it's not, it's, not, it's not hard to do. It's not hard to fall, is it? It's not hard to get caught up in the popular things. It's not hard to get caught up in what, what the majority thinks and believes. It's easy to do, friends. It's easy to do. And it's going to be even easier to do as the enemy gets more powerful and more powerful and more powerful. Not that God's given him more power, but humanity has. Agreed? Humanity has given Satan more power by our belief system that aligns with his. Do you understand? You have to write that on your heart, friends, because if you don't, you are doomed to repeat exactly the same things that other people have throughout time. Even though we've been warned again and again in the Scripture, these things continue to happen. One might think that such unpleasant tasks and warnings from Jude would leave, leave him in a depressed state of mind. Sometimes when you hear constant warnings, constant uh, bad things, and constant, gosh, how awful things are, you start to pick up on that, and it, it kind of takes away from your joy, doesn't it? It's easy to do. In fact, when someone constantly tells us how bad we are, don't we get sick and tired of hearing it? Anybody? Right. You might feel that way with your pastor. You might feel that way with God himself. You might feel it from a spouse. You might feel it from a teacher or a boss. It happens. It just feels like, you know, everything we do is wrong. So what's the use of trying anymore, right? And you would think that maybe Jude kind of has that idea, but he doesn't. In fact, we find that Jude is moved at the end of this epistle to, to pen a doxology. A doxology means an expression of praise toward God. It's an expression of praise toward God. And doxologies are very common in the Scripture. You'll find them throughout it, actually. Uh, a lot of times it's at the end of a book or, or, a, or a, uh, an epistle, but not always. Sometimes you'll find them in, in the beginning and sometimes even in the middle. In fact, in the Psalms, you'll find that David does it constantly. He will stop and give us a selah, and he'll say, praise be to God, praise the Father. It's a doxology as he reiterates to us how amazing and good God has been. That's what David does. Others do it as well. Solomon talks about it in the few Psalms he writes, and certainly we find them in uh, the Proverbs as well. Once in a while, Paul will sneak one in in the middle of a, one of his, his books. So you'll find them. The format of a doxology is usually in two parts, an address to the one being praised, for one, and it includes reasons for the praise being offered, and then there's the expression of praise itself. That's the two things that you will find in a doxology. In Jude's closing doxology, we find the epistle is closing, but it doesn't end again on, on a negative note, as we might think it would be based on the content. Oftentimes, books are, but this one is not. Uh, in fact, it ends on a very high note with a beautiful expression of faith and hope, not doubt and fear. And I think that's encouraging to me as I read and heed the warnings that Jude is giving, 
but I understand the reasons He gives them and realize that the reason He gives it to us is that we can continue to be connected to God, focused on the things God has told us and not get caught up in the things of the devil or the world or whatever. Does that make sense? That's why it's here. And He wants us to be sure to live with this strong assurance of faith and hope. So let's take a few minutes to carefully examine this expression of praise, which is preserved for us in this epistle because it expresses our assurance of glory for all time. And Jude begins his doxology by describing the one to whom praise is given. Now, obviously, in the Word of God, there's only one we can give praise to, and that's the Trinity. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Yeah? Hello? Want to make sure you're all still here with me, okay? That's the one he's talking about. That's the one we need to understand. Why? Because it's to him who is able. Now, there's lots of songs out there. Uh, uh, to him who is able to do all of these things. And, and God has done a lot for me, and it's personable. Uh, Jude talks about the things that God does for everyone, but we have to go past that and look at what God has done for us, don't we? And how many of you today could stand and say, let me tell you what God has done for me? Could anybody do that? I, you know, I'm not asking you to, but I'm telling you we ought to be able to do it, yeah? We ought to be able to know what God has done in our lives. I, I, we, every one of us has got to start with saving us from, from eternal death, don't we? There's not a person in here that doesn't start there. And then we begin to talk about the blessings that He gave us, right? We talk about the forgiveness, the grace He offered, Yeah? These are things that we have to know that God has done. And if you can't think of anything that God's done in your life, I question your, your salvation. I question your Christianity. And so should you. Now, I know life is difficult. I know life brings tough times. But my goodness, even in the midst of the difficult times, shouldn't we look to our Savior? Shouldn't we know that regardless of what befalls us, even earthly death, shouldn't we know? That even in the end, I stand amazed. Yeah? I stand on the promises. I stand on Jesus the Nazarene. Yeah? Should, shouldn't all of us know those things? You don't have to know the hymns to know those truths. Amen? So let's remember that. So to him who is able to do what? What is he able to do? Well, I could fill in the, the, the blanks just as easily as you could. But the fact of the matter is, let's talk about what Jude says. For one, he keeps you from stumbling, right? He keeps you from stumbling. And let me tell you, many times he's done that for me when I, I, I almost wanted to stumble. Anybody? I almost wanted to. And he kept me from doing it. And God is clearly involved in this process when we're kept from stumbling. Otherwise, we'd have stumbled all over ourselves. We'd have stumbled all over the, the roadblocks and the ploys and, and the dupes that Satan puts in front of us, yeah? And he uses other people to do it too, doesn't he? Even well-meaning people. Just ask Job. Didn't, didn't his wife, including his, his friends, come to him and say, you know, just curse God and die already. He's like, I will not curse God. I will stand on the promises that the Lord has given me. And I will take measure of what he has done in my life. Shouldn't we all do that? Shouldn't we all have that attitude, regardless of what befalls us? So if anybody really thinks they can do this on their own, they're sadly and sorely mistaken because the emphasis seems to be on his ability to keep us from doing it. 
The emphasis is here on God's ability to keep us from falling, not our own, on His. Now, stumbling doesn't necessarily refer to the occasional sin. I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Oftentimes, that's how we look at it. He keeps me from falling on the occasional sin. No, that's not what he's talking about. I think what he's trying to say is because the Greek word means fall away. Where we use stumbling here, the Greek word actually means falling or fall away. So we have to take that to a deeper understanding, okay? In fact, the same word is also used in 2 Peter 1.10, and the translators rightly translate it just fall in the ESV. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, he's not talking about, uh, again, just this occasional sin. He's talking about falling away from Christ. You understand that? So when people tell me you can't do that, I struggle. <laughs> because here it is again. Same word, same thing. Okay? And I know that there's some brilliant preachers out there that believe that theology. I, I, I know. Uh, I've listened to Tony Evans. My wife and I were the other day uh, in the car, and Tony Evans says that. And I'm like, Tony, I disagree with you. I, you're great. You're wonderful. You have some great things, but I disagree with you. And, and this is another reason why. Either way, listen to this. There is some reassurance here, and we have to grasp it. Because in this epistle, which is filled with warnings about ungodly people who would seek to lead us astray, it also tells us that there isn't anything wrong with the things that God has clearly said not to do. Let me explain that. God's ability to keep us from falling has been implied from the beginning of the epistle in Jude 1, where Jude says, we are kept or preserved in Christ. It's a choice, but it's there for you. If you want to be preserved in Christ, you can be. If you want to walk away, He'll let you. You understand? If you want to stay, you can. But if you want to walk away, He will. Otherwise, you've lost free will. You understand that? It's free will. Free will doesn't just go in the comings and goings of life. It also has to do in your ability to remain saved. No one can take it from you, but you can willfully send it away. That's what He's talking about. That's free will. Even if you're saved, do you still have free will? Do you somehow lose it? No. You still have free will. So you can make decisions that will keep you from being a sheep when you're going to end up a goat. Jesus is clear about that too. Friends, this is a big circle, and it always goes together. And it, pr it proves to me that we can indeed lose our status in Him and that He has made every effort to keep us from losing it and to remain preserved in Him. Every time I take out a jar of jelly from the refrigerator, I look at it because I don't like jelly. I like preserves. Anybody with me in that? Jelly is this gloopy glob of stuff that doesn't spread, but preserves just... You can smooth them all over it. I don't care if they're grape. I don't care if they're strawberry. I don't care... You know, I've never seen an apple preserve yet, but I'd like so, and I think that's kind of apple butter. But I like apple jelly. Anybody like apple jelly? So here I am saying I like jelly when I really don't. But I like apple jelly. I like mixed fruit. That's my favorite. Anybody like mixed fruit jelly? If they could, somebody could make it in a preserve, I would be grateful. Because I like the way it's, it smooths. Because preserves, and that's what it means. Grandma used to say, go get the preserves. Well, what she meant by that is go back in the utility room and pull back the curtain, and on that shelf were all of these bottles of things that she had canned, 
you know, I, I don't know why we just didn't call them bottled because they were all bottles, you know. But anyway, so she would say, go get the, and we would get them out. And, and brother, they were always good. They Sometimes they've been there for several years and they're always good. Grandma, she always called it preserves. And, and she preserved everything. Grandma said she could can anything. I, be, I believe her. She canned meat. Anybody ever canned meat before? Grandma has. Uh, so, so I like that she could preserve our food that we, we could eat it later, you know? And that's what it means. Because if you, uh, today, this morning, uh, I was going to have a bowl of oatmeal, and I, and I went into the uh, refrigerator it, it, here, and there was a, uh, a gallon of milk. And listen, I've been working on this gallon of milk for quite some time. Okay? And it's already 10 days past the date. And it was still okay on Friday, but today, not so much. Okay? You, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I learned that from Bernie because Bernie will basically drink anything out of the refrigerator. Uh, I've learned that Bernie says he, he'll know if it's bad when he drinks it. Right? That's the, see? So I learned from Bernie that you can actually go well past the date on milk and it's probably okay. Uh, even 10 days later. But maybe not to. So I always, and my wife will tell you every time, when I, no matter whose milk it is or where it is, what do I do with it? I smell it every time. Before I even, because I had a, I had a, a terrible accident once, <laughs> and, it, and it was devastating to me. Okay, my my grandmother, bless her heart, uh, served me curdled milk and didn't realize it. it looked more like cottage cheese than milk to me, and I didn't look at it closely, and it was disgusting. You're right. So I always, but, but preservation is important, right? Because we don't want bad food, and anything in the refrigerator, if you don't preserve it, guess what? It's going to go bad in a certain amount of time. Not so with your salvation. It's preserved for you. But you can choose to do something silly with it, like send it away and not preserve it. No food will last if you don't preserve it, and neither will your salvation, friends. I, I know there's people who's going to disagree with me. I'm telling you, the Scripture says otherwise. That's what it says, which is why I'm a Wesleyan. That's why all evangelicals that are Wesleyan, Wesleyan theology believe this. Because, and we can't all be wrong. So the fact of the matter is, I'm grateful that God has made a way for me to have my salvation in Him preserved. That it can never be taken from me. No matter what Satan does to me in this life, he cannot take it. So if I lose it, it's on me. Because God made a way for me to have it. But as we've also learned in previous messages... Our faith has to cooperate with God's power if we're going to keep from stumbling or falling. You understand? Our faith must be intact with God. In fact, it, we have to heed the exhortations given to us by Jude himself. Remember what he said. Jude 17, remember the words that were spoken before. I think sometimes we get away from what was spoken before and go on our own words. Anybody? We kind of get away from the Word of God and say, well, I thought it said that. Well, if you were in it, you would know what it says, not think. Amen? We can screw up the Word of God, too, can't we? Yeah. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Remember to do that. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Anybody prayed in the Spirit before? It's different than just praying. Okay, I'm telling you. All right? Keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, why would we need to do that if, it weren't, if we couldn't lose it? Understand? And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Jude 21. We stay in God's good graces by His mercy. Do you understand that? Well, you need to, because that's what Jude says. 
You see, if we continue in the faith, heeding these warnings, we know that God is able to keep us from falling. That's the only way. You can't do it yourself. I've tried. It doesn't work. You have the greatest of intentions. Don't you? But without God's help, you're doomed. It's so easy. And sometimes people say, I, I don't know where it went wrong. And a lot of times we don't. But it's happened. God's ability is stressed by Paul himself in his own doxology in Ephesians 3. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And I'm worried because Paul says, To him be glory in the church. And I'm not sure it's there. I'm not sure God's glory remains in the church. I'm going to explain it. Hold that thought. The second thing that he's able to do is present you without fault before his glorious presence with great joy. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that Christ is proud of me and wants to present me with joy to the Father. Man, that's awesome. It doesn't matter who I am, where I've come from, what I've done. If I accept him, he presents me with joy to the Father. Now, I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. None of us did. John Wesley said he didn't. Billy Graham said he hadn't. But praise God, we get it. Praise God, we, he's allowed it. You see, here the focus is on God's ability to produce the ultimate goal of redemption. And that goal is expressed here by presenting us before God. How? Number one, without fault. <laughs> Brother, I look around, we all got faults. Anybody? I mean, I know you're just thinking one of mine. I tend to go too long in the sermon. That's one of my faults, isn't it? I bet there's a few choice ones, you, other ones you're thinking of too. I only did that to, to get you woken up because I'm sure you weren't. How many of you think I go too long? Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep coming back, though, don't you? So, so anyway, so, see, we, but we all, do you, who in here has faults? Anybody? Who doesn't? Who doesn't have faults? Yeah, well, there's a few of you that I know. Anyway, maybe one day we'll all be like you. I don't know. But, but the fact is, right, we, see, we're going to be presented without fault, without any. And, brother, I know I've got them. I, I look at you, and you, I know you've got them. Because, because that's, we're people. We're people. And God says no. Paul expresses it in Ephesians 5.27, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. And friends, this is absolutely necessary for us to be permitted into the presence of God's glory. We have to be presented faultless. Like Jesus was. <laughs> when Jesus said, be like me in every way, he wasn't kidding, was he? And he didn't say, wait until the rapture to be there either. He said, now, <coughs> now, how else is he going to present us with great joy? Great joy. Without a doubt, this will be the condition of those so blessed. But let's not discount the, the joy that God will experience when he sees his redeemed ones with him at last. You know, when all my children came home for, for Christmas, I, we missed one. One wasn't there. And as, as joyous as I was to see them all coming, I, I was longing for the other one. You understand that as a parent, don't you? 
And the Father, He's going to be so delighted when we're all presented to Him, but He's going to long for the ones that chose not to. But I'm grateful that I'm going to be in the group with you, that He's delighted with great joy to accept. Why? Because God knows He did it. He knows that there's no other way that this could have happened. He did that for you. He knows that His plan came to completion and fruition. And praise the Lord, some people said yes. Not as many as should, but, but many did. He made it available. We chose it. He's successful. Through His divine providence, God will bring His plan of redemption to pass. Paul says in Romans 8, 28 to 30, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have made or have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also with Him glorified. You see, we're going to, share in the glory of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the glory of God. The Bible says so. We're going to share in that glory with the Christ. And I, I have to tell you, I, as I, even in my own human mind, try to understand God, there is no way I deserve to be sharing in the glory of Christ in front of the Father. But because Jesus says it's good enough, I do. And I think, wow, you can use yikes, eureka, whatever you want. Any exclamation you want, but by golly, isn't that awesome that God did that for you? To the one whom praise is given, him, him who is able. To the only God, he says, who is. What do you mean? Well, he's our only Savior. He's our only Savior. Do you know that? Friends, do you know that? Because the world doesn't. Do you know that people in the church don't? At this point, Jude is bringing praise to God. This phrase is a summary description of what was stated in verse 24. In other words, the God who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless is truly our Savior. He didn't have to be, but He is. And He had to come to earth in order to save you and me. Now, you could say, well, he did it in the world way long ago. Yeah, but he looked ahead in time, didn't he, Carol? When he was on the cross, he saw me, and he saw you. And he said, I'm dying for that. I'm dying for that. And he's dying for those that would not choose him, hoping that they would. He died for those that would choose him and walk away. And he saw that, too. And he died for those like you and me who would accept it and keep it, but would fail him on occasion, who would disappoint him on occasion. And I think some of you learned that in best class this morning. He died for those things, didn't he? Knowing we would do it and hoping you would make it right and come back, choose to. He died for those things. He didn't just speak it into existence. You might say, well, why didn't he just speak it into existence? Because it would not have satisfied the judiciary of the Father. That's why. 
So he actually came and did it himself. And beyond that, the emphasis remains on Christ being the only Savior. And again, why does this have to be told? Because people from time, uh, from time to time of that time and even of our time believe that there are other ways to get to God. There are other ways to get to God. Can you believe that? Do you believe that there are people in the church today, the modern Christian church today, who believe that there are other ways to get to God and not necessarily through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? I know it. John, show us. Listen to the Pope. Parte de los habitantes del planeta se declaran creyentes. Esto debería provocar un diálogo entre las religiones. No debemos dejar de orar por él y colaborar con quienes piensan distinto. Confío en Buda. Creo en Dios. Creo en Jesucristo. Creo en Dios. Alá. Muchos piensan distinto, sienten distinto, buscan a Dios o encuentran a Dios de diversa manera. En esta multitud, en este abanico de religiones, hay una sola certeza que tenemos para todos. Todos somos hijos de Dios. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Confío en vos para difundir mi petición de este mes. Que el diálogo sincero entre hombres y mujeres de diversas religiones conlleve frutos de paz y justicia. Confío en tu oración. Period. Two of those religions you just saw are warring religions. Okay? Can I prove it? A thousand percent. And I'm not ripping on the Pope. I'm not ripping on the Catholic Church. I'm simply saying this. I'm saying, I understand what he's trying to do. I understand what everybody's trying to do. Friends, you cannot be friends with the enemy. It is not possible. You cannot. And when people try to tell me <laughs> that you can get to God and have peace on earth through any faith you want, that's completely unbiblical. It goes totally against what Jesus taught. It goes against everything he died for and everything he lived for, completely. In fact, in this video, the Pope completely abandons the notion that a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And even said that all people are God's children. That's false. The Bible says we're not. The Bible says you're God's child when you accept Jesus Christ and are readopted into his family. Am I right, Pastor Chris? Am I right? Jay, am I right? Billy? That's the only way, friends. I wish it were better. I wish it was an easier way. I wish the Pope was right, but he's not. And one day, if it isn't real soon, we're going to have to stand. We're going to have to say, my association is with Jesus Christ, my Savior, period. That's a fact. This video has been denounced over and again by most Protestants and many Catholics as well. But many people don't seem to be alarmed over it, hence Jude's warnings. Jack Van Impey went so far to say that this pope may well indeed be the false prophet. I'm not going to get into that today. But here's what I will tell you. I think that the enemy is powerful, and he can dupe anyone. 
into compromising the truth, even when it seems right, even when it seems for the greater good. And I cannot and I will not compromise my relationship with Jesus Christ in order to seem, I guess, more tolerant. If Jesus is the only way to the Father, then He's the only way to the Father. There aren't many paths, there's one. And being a Buddhist is not going to get you there. Being a Muslim isn't going to get you there. Even being a Jew isn't going to get you there. Jesus Himself said it. Okay? So, you can't just be born into the Jewish faith, into a Jewish family, and think you're God's chosen person. No, you're not. He chose those people, but you have to be readopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. That's a fact. And so now in his doxology, we find that Jude moves to praise God in triplicate. Now that he's told us this is what you have to understand, here he comes to triplicate. He talks about the praise given to God. And the first group is glory and majesty. He gives glory and majesty to God. That's the first part of the triplicate. Glory comes from the Greek word doxa. Can you say it? Doxa. Well, it's actually doxa. <laughs> doxa, okay? And it's used to suggest dignity and honor. And then we have the word majesty. And that comes from the Greek word megalosune. Megalosune. Can you say it? Megalosune. And it means greatness. These terms are closely related in concept. In fact, they suggest that which is worthy of awe, praise, and worship. And only one entity in all the earth is worthy of that, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, and I believe it. And Jude says we are to seek to have all glory and majesty given to God, period. Friends, we glorify and majestify a lot of things. And yes, majestify is a word. We glorify and majestify a lot of things, and they're not gone. I want that to sink into your brain panders for a second. Okay? Let's talk about the things that we give majesty and, and glory to. Celebrities. Sports figures. Singers. Songwriters. Musicians. Politicians. Popular people, presidents, dictators, kings, queens. Let me tell you something about these United States. Our founding fathers believed that all majesty and glory ought to be ascribed to God and God alone. I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care what the media wants to tell you. I know because I've schooled in it, and I made it my business to know. And that's why they said we shall have a republic with a democracy. We will not have kings. We don't have royalty here. It's illegal in the United States. And when people go ape crazy over the Brits and their royal monarchy, I think, ah, because it means nothing to me. Just because you're born into a family? I don't think so. I'm grateful that I've been reborn into the family of Jesus Christ. That alone is all I need. That's my monarchy. That's my king. And it's above any earthly king 
that's ever been. Our founding fathers knew that. That's why it's illegal to be knighted. Did you know that? You have to have special permission from our government to be knighted, and it can't be used in the United States. Why? Because majesty and glory are ascribed to the one and only true king. There's only one. There's only one. Do your research. Look at your history. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. I promise you what you'll find. That's why they did it, friends. And Jude doesn't want us just to see glory and majesty given to God just because he says it. There's a reason for it. But because we should see, like Jude does, what God is able to do and what He has done. Particularly as it relates to what we know He has done for us. But I think Christians are just as entitled as non-Christians are today. And before you disagree with me, hear me out. I think they are as, as it relates to the fact that we're not so grateful of what God has done these days. As I read some of the responses that people, that people had to the great preachers of the 20th century, believe it or not, we're in the 21st, in case those of you haven't understood that. But Charles Spurgeon, Peter Marshall, and even Billy Graham, these guys all said the same thing in different ways. And I see people coming to Christ with great emotion based on being saved from hell and eternal damnation during their time. And, the, and I, I watched many Billy Graham crusades, and I watched the people flock to the altar and were just blown away that Christ would do what He did for them. I saw people beating on their chest like Jesus talked about with the Pharisee. People saying, I can't believe He would come for me. As bad as I've been, He's done it. It changed their entire way of thinking. And today it's like, eh, yeah, he saved me, okay. That's almost what it's come to. And I, why? I mean, is it, I mean, are you grateful for what he did? Does it mean anything to you? Does your life reflect that you care? Did it mean something to you? Because I don't see that in the church today. I really don't. I don't see people that are so grateful that they still get on their knees and praise God for what He did with tears in their eyes because they deserve hell and damnation and aren't going to receive it. <laughs> I've seen people give more glory and praise to a first responder or a doctor or an attorney than we're ascribing the Almighty God. Am I wrong? And why did he do it? For no other reason than he loved you. That's all. Even when you haven't always loved him back. <laughs> right? Because if you love me, what will you do? Obey my commands. And when I don't obey his commands, am I loving him? Not, not very much. Amen? People say, well, it isn't that simple. It is exactly that simple. That's what he said. You're simplifying it. <laughs> So did he. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And this is how we know we love the Father. We love the brethren. Right? I mean, is it so hard for that concept? But what about the brethren? It doesn't matter who the brethren. You love, you love other Christians. The brethren are other believers. 
Are you going to disagree with other believers? Yeah. Churches have been split over that. But we're to love one another. How? In the same manner that he has. Come on. You know this verse? Love others as I have? Yeah. Yeah. Is that so hard? Well, it shouldn't be. But somehow it is. Because the devil says, but, but there's always a... There, there, you, you can make an excuse, though. It, because some people, you know, well, you know, you, you, just, you just can't. None of us deserves what we got. Not a one of us does. But he did it. And I think the problem today is that we think we do deserve it. We think that because he's God and we've accepted him or we acknowledge that he's God, that we deserve that. We're owed it. No, we're not. We're not owed it. I was reading not, uh, not too long ago that we're a people that believe we deserve everything else anyway. Because we believe we deserve all these things, it goes to reason that we think we deserve what God offers or what God has done. I was reading, like I said, um, and I can't remember where it was, and I wish I could find it again. I frantically looked for it the last week or so. But I read about this pastor who had a 19-year-old daughter, and she was on a single site. And uh, she wasn't having very good luck. And so he said, well, you know, daughter, let me, uh, let me see your, your profile. What are you, what are you, what are you saying? And uh, he was kind of stunned. For on her profile, she stated that she was looking for a man who would treat her like the queen she is and spoil her like she deserved. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I told my daughters, pick a man who loves God more than you. I'm serious, I did that. I told them that. Because if he loves God more than you, he will love you the way God thinks you should be loved, not the way man thinks you should be loved. He will respect you and treat you in a manner that Christ treats the church. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love our wives, aren't we men, in the same manner that Christ loves the church. And we know how much Christ loves the church, don't we? So you know what? What's wrong with this young lady's profile? Her father said, you know, uh, uh, there, there might be a problem here. He told his daughter she deserved to be treated like a lady with dignity and respect. And perhaps that might be a better way to advertise, he told her. But the girl was indignant with him because she truly believed she was owed the kind of attention that she advertised for. And he told her, the kind of attention you're looking for, you really don't want. I'm telling you. And the pastor questioned his own methods in raising his daughter. And he asked himself aloud whether a person with that attitude, even a Christian with that attitude, could possibly be grateful to Christ simply because he had changed her status immediately and eternally. He thought she wouldn't because she thought she deserved because she was acting out as a Christian. See, this is what we do. We believe that somehow if... We think we're owed something from God. 
well, I gave up that old life, you know, and, I, and I'm doing things your way in the Scripture instead of the things I'd rather do or what society says. So you, you owe me that. That's how we think. That is exactly how we think. That's how she was thinking, and her, and her father knew it. And he began to think about that, and he said, you know what? I've got a church full of people. They're doing the exact same. It's not, it's not on a single site. But we believe that God owes us that salvation because we're living life the way He wants us to rather than the way we want to. And if we think that, then we have completely misunderstood Jesus Christ, and I don't think we belong to Him. I, I, I don't think I would if I had that, that idea. I am grateful for what He did, and I live my life for Him because He deserves my obedience. And you know what? It's better for me anyway. And in doing so, now He will give me the crown of life. Not because I earned it, but because I was obedient. Two different things. God owes me nothing. In fact, I owe Him everything. And so do you. I don't know about you, but I know what He's done. And He deserves glory and majesty because He's God. <laughs> Anybody? Then He goes into the second part from glory and majesty into power and authority. Power comes from the Greek word exousia. Exousia. It's E-X-O-U-S-I-A, but it's exousia. And it refers to jurisdiction, a, a liberty, uh, power, the right, and strength. All those things are exousia. And the word authority comes from the Greek word kratos, kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. And it means might and strength. Here again, these words are closely related in concept, and their use demonstrates that Jude recognizes that God, it is God who rightly deserves and exercises authority over all things. Do you understand that? God exercises authority and power over all things. It's His authority. And not only does He recognize it, it is His fervent prayer that it would continue. That God and His authority would continue. But again, as I look at what Jude's saying, it hit me like, you know, like, a, like a punch in the face. I'm like, I could have had a V8, right? I, I saw that and I'm like, how did I miss this before? How have I missed this in these doxologies before? When I sang the doxology growing up as a youngster, as we went back and forth between a Roman Catholic church and a, and a, and a United Methodist church, you know, dad was Catholic, mom was Protestant, so we would go back and forth, right? And I grew up in both places. And I remember going to at mom's church, we would sing, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Yeah? Praise God, all you heavenly hosts. Yeah? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Never forgotten it. I don't even know that I actually tried to memorize it. But in that old church, what we would do, there's a center aisle, you know, and my wife's been there with me and so my kids, and because I've spoken there a time or two, uh, and, and I'm always, they always love it when I come home. 
and, and do that. But here's the deal. Uh, growing up in that church, uh, we had a, it was more liturgical, and uh, they would, the t- t- two of us, two guys would always go, and once in a while as girls, we'd go light candles, and then when it's time for offering, we would uh, uh, pass the offering plate, and then we'd stand at the back, and the congregation would stand, they start singing that, and we would walk up with those tithes and offerings in the plates and plant them on the communion table. And then the pastor would pray for their offerings, and everybody would sit down. And then the treasurer would go up and get them at the end of service. And they stayed there, presented to God all service long. And we've missed something today because we're not doing that. Just saying. But here's the thing. I remember doing that. And, that. and as I remember that doxology, and I remember the one that Paul has and the several that David has, all these doxologies. As I look at these doxologies, I realize that Jude has to go back into the reason for it is because the people of his day, like the people of our day, and it's never changed, by the way. Maybe more today, but we struggle with authority. We struggle as a peoples with authority. They did in, in Jews' day. We have throughout history, and we're continuing probably more so today than ever. We struggle with authority. I struggle with authority sometimes. Don't tell me you don't. We do. And it becomes easier to struggle with authority and, to, and deny authority even rebuke authority because more and more people are doing it. More and more people are doing it, you know? And I, as I watch, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, oh, yeah, terrible. Here I am, senior moment again. Live, live PD, yeah. I watch live PD, and I watch these people who tell you can't do that to a cop. Are you serious? Yeah, they can, or they wouldn't do it. I didn't do anything. That's not for you to determine. If you think the cop was wrong, then fight it in court. But you have an obligation to submit to the authority put over you. And if he was wrong or she was wrong, then have your day. But you listen and you comply. You know how many times people win those cases? Never. Never. You know why? Because we struggle with authority. We struggle with authority in the school. We struggle with authority in stores, in our jobs, in society. We struggle with it in our homes. We struggle with authority. And God says, I am the authority. You don't struggle with me. You might struggle with other people, and they might relent, but you won't with me. And I'll show you how much you'll be a goat. <laughs> you struggle with my authority. God, and he's not kidding does he not say that? Does Jesus not say, a lot of people think they're sheep, they're going to be a goat? And it wasn't, it wasn't God that did it. You chose. You chose to be a goat. We see it more and more and more. And as I look at our society today, I see huge patterns that parallel what the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Do you? Do you see it, Pastor Chris? I see it like this. After they enjoyed God's favor upon them, they started getting awful big for their britches. So have we. Gotten awful big for our britches. And before anybody knew what was happening, all of a sudden they didn't need God anymore. anymore. They began living a prideful and sinful life, indulging in whatever they wanted to, and basically thumbing their noses at God. Don't tell me they didn't. I can show you the pattern over and over and over again. We can go right back into all the Old Testament books, and we can read them right now. They did it over and over and over again and never stopped. The cycle continued. God even let them hang out in the wilderness for 40 years 
until <laughs> those that did it died out before he took him into the promised land. Yes or no? Okay. It's much like we're beginning to do today. People don't want anyone to give them rules or tell them what to do. Our lack of respect for authority is off the chart, and it's getting worse. And I begin to think, is it any wonder that Jude has to remind us who God is? And why His power and authority is sovereign and eternal? Because we look at God just like any other person, and He's not. There is a person of Christ, and there's a person of the Holy Spirit. And you learned that in best class this morning, I think. But they are part of the Trinity that is a triune God who is above every authority there has ever been and will always be an authority. And that's why our founding fathers said, the church ought to have influence on the government, but the government shall never have influence on the church. And what have we done today because Satan has done it? Yes or no? You're watching it happen before your eyes, friends. Look closely. It doesn't matter what party you belong to. You tell me who wants to, who wants to delete that and who doesn't. Say what you want. I can prove it. I can time it with an egg timer. So as we look at this, I say, okay, Jude, I know what you're trying to do here, and I know why you're doing it. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand why he's sovereign, why he's eternal. And we better understand that as a church and never forget it, lest we become goats instead of sheep. Goats instead of sheep. I think there's going to be an awful lot of people that's going to be in the goat pen and say, what happened? Where, where did I take the wrong turn? Oh, this guy, it's my fault. God duped me. Something happened. I was, everybody, well, and they're so-and-so, and they're so-and-so, and they were good Christians, I thought. Don't tell me that's not going to happen. I assure you it is going to happen. God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says so. He never has been. So if you think that so-and-so and so-and-so is a good Christian, you better be sure. And you better be sure they're living their life by the Word of God and they're obedient. Because if they aren't, but they've got a great name, they're going to be a goat and you're going to be with them. It's up to you. And Judas saying, get it together now. And then he moves on to, the, to what extent God has got his power and authority. That's real quick. He says, both now and forever. I don't even have to hardly expand on that. Jude's fervent prayer is that authority and power, glory and majesty remain completely God's. That's who deserves it, nobody else. And that's why I don't get all giddy when I start watching the royals. I'm glad I'm an American and not a Brit. If it's so good, how come so many Brits want to become Americans? But we're, we're real quick here about to lose what we started with. Do you really want a monarchy? You might get it. You just might. There's people in this nation that wants it. You, you, you think that socialism isn't monarchy? I guarantee it is. Because here's what happens. Socialism, every single time it's been started, turns into communism. Communism, every single time, has gone into dictatorship. And dictatorship is monarchy. Look it up. You see, friends, power, majesty, and glory remain God's. These attributes are not for anyone else, and not just for the present either, but for all eternity. And we better get that into our heads, because I don't think eternity is that far away, do you? 
And as our worship team comes, let me share this with you. With a single word, amen, which means so be it. Jude ends this doxology in the epistle itself, and so it will be. And despite the efforts of anyone to turn the grace of our God into self-centeredness and deny the only Lord God in Christ, God will bring all of the ungodly into judgment. You do understand that, don't you? How many of you know that? That God will bring all the ungodly into judgment. Now, I know that this is a sobering message today. I know that this might have taken you by surprise. But I'm just telling you what he said and why he said it. The beauty of that is, encouragement, is you're not the ungodly. If you're not the ungodly, you've got no worries worry for judgment, do you? That's the point. He will preserve in Jesus Christ all who remain faithful to Him. And God will keep them from stumbling. He will present them faultless before His presence with great joy. And to Him will be glory and majesty, power and authority, both now and forever. But dear friends, for us to enjoy the blessedness promised the faithful, we have to heed Jude's call. To remember the words spoken before, to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to keep ourselves in the love of God, to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and to extend compassionate effort to those who are in danger of either not having it or losing it. For then and only then will it be true that we heeded the exhortation to contend earnestly for the faith. 